On this episode of AV Week, the future of work, is it based in technology or a change in culture? Zero trust networking, it's not just a matter of if, but when. All that and more coming up on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is episode number 579, Culture Shift. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Sennheiser for both corporate and educational campus-wide audio. And by Bodio, a leading manufacturer of professional PTZ cameras, Pro AV solutions, and UCC integration systems. And by FSR. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of all the news in the audiovisual world. I am your host, Brian Heidgerken. Tim took the week off. Well, he didn't take the week off. He worked all week, but then I locked him in the studio, so you're stuck with me. Uh, this week, we have joining us Bryn Walker, partner of integration at Kierkegaard. Hi, Bryn. Hello, thanks for having me. Nice to meet you. And Bradford Ben, chief ad advicist at ad Advices Group. Did I get that right? Thanks for having me at such an improvement over Tim. <laughs> that was exactly it, yeah. Uh, joining us from a Tesla in a parking lot while charging, um, I I'll take the compliment. Thank you, Bradford. And finally, the only person whose name does not start with a B this week, we have Ken Eagle, VP of Technology for HAL Technologies. Hello, Ken. Hey, Brian, thanks for having me on today. Good to meet you. All right, so our first topic for this week comes from two different events. One was the New Era UCNC virtual event held Thursday the 22nd, and the other one was Wednesday and Thursday's Modern Work Summit. As the saying goes, it's hard to make predictions, especially about the future, but it seems that for the last few years post-pandemic, there's been a lot of people talking about this new term called future of work. And there's some really interesting stuff out there. And there's some uh, that, in my opinion, is a little ridiculous. So uh, some ideas that I've heard, and then we'll get to you guys. I've heard everything from virtual reality. We're all going to be sitting with virtual reality. Um, but a lot of us can't remember to unmute our microphones during Teams meetings. So virtual seems a little bit of a stretch today. Um, there's holograms, campfires, bubble walls for privacy. You know, where are we going, Brent? What, what part of this is real and which part is just uh, people filling space? I think most of it is people filling space um, because, you know, we already had systems that worked pretty well for people who were working remotely, right? Um, it's not as though any, it, the, the pandemic did not introduce any new technology unless I missed something. Um, that would that would change the way an enterprise would operate with remote employees. We've just changed the way we what we call remote employees. We've allowed it too. Yeah, and everybody's in a hybrid workplace. So I think a lot of this foolishness is going to settle down and disappear. The thing about VR is that there are there are applications that make sense for VR. Having six different people in a meeting, all doing it via VR rarely makes sense. 
Because what is it that you actually need to experience virtually that you're doing that? I can under, you can understand VR for observing a surgery, right? Or something like that. But your average corporate meeting that nobody wants to be in anyway, I mean, the future of work should be less meetings. The most, to me, the most exciting news of this week actually was there were over 70 companies in the UK that did have been doing a six, six month test of the four day work week. And 88% of them said that it was going well. 60% said they're going to keep it. And over 90% said that productivity stayed the same, improved slightly, or improved greatly. Sign me up. <laughs> that is the most important for over 3,000 employees in this study. And we're this is what's coming. And if you've got a 32-hour week, week, work week, guess what? You know? everybody's going to be hybrid in some way. Some people are going to work that extra day, no matter what you do. So, you know, it's fun. It's fun to think about some of those things, but it's just not practical in my mind to see them happen. 32 hour work week, I think is practical, is practical and could happen. I, I agree. I, I, like you said, there's no new technology really out there. And I, I've seen some virtual stuff to where, you know, if you're looking through a building with an architect, and you can virtually walk through, that's amazing, right? Even sitting in a BIM model meeting where they're t showing you all the, the plumbing and HVAC, um, but just to have a day-to-day -day, you know, huddle where you're checking in with your, your coworkers virtually, I mean, it'd be fun a couple of times, but <laughs> Bradford, what, what are you seeing out there? Uh, well, currently I see someone dropped a latte, but that's a whole nother story. Uh, so I see the virtual workplace <laughs> and all of that, as Bryn said, nothing's new. It's just now accepted. But what I am starting to see that I like is people understanding of giving someone a task to do, not filling their hours. And that seems to be one of the interesting spinoffs I've been seeing. Uh, from talking with people of the, you need to design this. I think that idea of giving people a task to do versus saying you're going to work these eight hours also works with the 32-hour work week, right? Because you're evaluating people based on their performance and what they actually produce, not based on how much time they put in. And if we are in this world where more people are doing creative mind work, then we actually need more time to rest our minds to do a great job. The other thing is doing something like this of pulling over and having a conversation and then going back on the road is becoming accepted and not a novelty. And to me, that's big. But the future of work is just it's work. Where you do it doesn't change. What you do typically doesn't change. And as I pointed out to people, I got in a big metal tube to fly across the country with 300 people I don't like just to go sit down with someone for four hours face to face because on these virtual meetings, oh, with something, yeah, oh, sorry, yeah, I'm, I'm paying attention. And so there's still that need for in-person talk and involvement that it's as much about discipline people to not multitask during a meeting and stuff. But I think 
it's going to stay the same way it is, just more people working from home and understanding you don't need an office. You just need the work. I love the idea of changing the setup because we're still in many ways working like we were 100 years ago to where you know, we're all factory workers and you're doing piecework or you had to do the eight hours because you could, they could figure out how many cars you could put together in eight hours, right? Or widgets you could build. But as more and more, we're all, you know, data workers or, you know, it, it's, it's, I would love the task, that task driven to where if you get yourself done and, and the places that I work, it is, we don't care when you work, we don't care where you work, as long as you're getting what needs to get done and staying in touch with your team so that they know what you're doing, you know, but a lot of, I think maybe the technology that we need to talk about is, is how to convince more employers to accept that. Yeah. No, I think, I think you're right. Even, even at Hall Technologies, you know, we're, we're moving away from uh, things like a fixed vacation schedule to a vacation when you need it, kind of an unlimited vacation policy, just because it fits with that mindset of when work, when you want, where you want and be productive of what you need to get done and, you know, stop putting people in a box that, uh, that they don't fit into. Um, but I would comment on um, what Bren said earlier about the pandemic, you know, not really develop uh, delivering any new technology. I, I totally agree. There's nothing really new there. Um, we've taken some of the technology and made it a little better. We've tweaked some things and made things more available. Uh, but I think what really changes coming out of the, out of the pandemic is, are the, the people products, right? Because going into the pandemic, the technology was there, but people didn't always use it. They either didn't know how to use it or they didn't want to use it or they weren't, weren't told they had to use it. Now, post-pandemic, we all had to use this or our kids had to use this or somebody in the house was using it. So now as we come back into work and come back into school, uh, we know how to use Teams. We know how to use Zoom. We know how to use Google Meet and, and these different tools out there. And so... Uh, with an educated workforce uh, around UCC topics now and, and a willingness to engage with it, we can do more of this and we can enable more things. Um, I was in a discussion just the other day with this topic around education and uh, someone uh, from one of the universities brought up the fact that, um, you know, educators don't always want to be in the classroom to educate. What if they need a sick day and can't make it and can they teach their classroom home? Sure. What about professors who go on a sabbatical every seven years? Why go on a sabbatical? You can just teach from the field and be in the field anytime you want. So we're seeing a, a lot of, we're seeing a paradigm shift in the way people think about work and about education now. Even though the technology is not a lot different, we're starting to get more familiar with it and we're making it a little bit better. Uh, and it's allowing us to achieve or to realize this, this shift in, in, in uh, business and thought. The other thing that happened, and we've heard the buzzword, is meeting equity, and that's changed it because it used to be 17 people in one conference room and four people remote, and it wasn't a good experience. Now it's 17 people remote and four people together, and that's changed it, and teachers understand remote learning isn't just putting a camera in the classroom. It's a whole new way of, of doing the process. The, the thing that we that the thing that has been consistent with the internet since the web is that the vast majority of content is produced by 10% of the people right yeah exactly video 
has become the leading form of communication in the world because the tools have enabled anyone to make video and to meet over video. And now everyone makes video. So that adoption that you were talking about, Ken, the video has made the difference um, because it has made, it has given people the eye contact, even if it's not in person. And Bradford, I will disagree with you a little bit about the need for the in-person meeting, personally. I like the four hour Zoom call that enables me to wash my dishes and start my laundry because I don't need to talk. The very multitasking he's complaining about. But however, however, if you're dealing with, you know, like I deal with a lot of meetings where it's a design team because we do we do systems design and we might there might be a four hour meeting and there could be 32 people in that meeting. And the architect may not be smart enough to schedule come at this hour, come at this hour, come at this hour. The client's there for the whole four. We don't all need to be there for the whole four. So if the architect's not smart enough to organize it, I can organize it for myself and look at the agenda and say, I'm here, yeah. but I'm not here. I'll be back yeah. at three yeah. o'clock. And there was no way for me to do that before. And I think part of that too, it uh, one of the things that we have to learn is to make uh, you know, those meetings and have some intent for some personal time too. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, I know I work probably 70, 80% remotely, meaning the people I'm working with, I may be in the office, but my teammates that I'm working with on a particular project are somewhere else. Um, but we make sure there's time to talk about our kids, to talk about, you know, TV shows. And I know as much about them and their lives and, and everything as I do the people that are sitting 25 feet away from me in the same brick and mortar sometimes more. Yeah. Yeah. It's what I call establishing digital rapport, right? And and it gets, and now we all in a position where we need to do it because I mean, my team of five, we're all in different places. We've never been in the same office. You know, one of one person I hired, I met them for the first time at Infocom. Right. <laughs> you know, so it's, this is what the world we we've between technology and transportation, we can go where we can go anywhere and work from anywhere. I hope to be working for Mauritius in February after ISC. That's my plan, you know, so it's a great world, right? And Bren, I do agree with your, you'd rather do it remotely. And I think it also comes down to the type of meeting. The only reason I got on the plane is to get the mind share and get someone focused because anytime we were online, because it, I wasn't their boss, I'm trying to sell them something, my services, they get distracted. Whereas being here in person, I'm able to talk with them and have their attention because now when someone walks up past their office, they're not gonna mute the conference and start talking because that person walking by will go, Oh, he's busy. So uh, yeah. I do not disagree with you. I think it's situational. Ab absolutely. They want to hear what I have to say. <laughs> well, in that first meeting, it's important. It's best to have that one in person. I think for maybe for sales, I guess. It's situational. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. it's it's kind of like you're going to Cleveland to visit your family. It's does that it's the same type of thing of there is still something about being in person. 
Gotta hug, gotta hug the family. Gotta hug the family. I don't, I don't hug architects that much. <laughs> All right. Uh, the only other thing, you know, we've talked around that, and I, and I, and I love the idea of the actual, the change, the future of work, because uh, technology is going to meet our need, right? Of whatever that is, it will grow into that, and then, but to Bren's comment earlier about the, the changing the work environment, the work day. And, and there's a lot of that. It's not everybody, you know, if you're a, a police officer or a fireman or a nurse, you have to go to the, you have to go in to do your job. But for a lot of people having that flexibility, um, you know, cr creates a, a lot of uh, work-life balance. With, but the, with, if it's going Bren's way, I really have a question on the who the director of IT future work, what their job is, because I've seen that start popping up on the on the job postings, and, and it's like, is that the person that's going to go in and say, all right, future of work is 32 hours, pay me, I'm out, <laughs> I'm done, <laughs> and I'll cash my check and I'll be working from home the rest of the year. Um, all right, moving on, uh, our next topic for uh, this week is uh and, and i am not an it person but it's from mytechdecision.com um titled article is research organizations struggle to implement zero trust zero trust sounds like a bad thing um but i'm gonna really and you guys correct me if i'm wrong but the basic idea behind zero trust is is that every device every bit of traffic on your network is being verified regardless of where where that piece of device is or what the tra where the traffic's coming from. So if you're working from home, you need to make sure you have a secure link back into the cloud and back into your corporate environment. Even if your servers are in your corporate environment, you want to make sure that they're where they're supposed to be and the traffic's going where it's supposed to get to. So for an AV kind of centric thinking, is this good for us or is this bad for the, us? Well, it, it, so it depends on your perspective, I guess, which side of the table you sit on from here. Certainly, um, you know, z this uh, zero risk policy adds more complexity to the system, adds more time to the system, it can add more cost to the system. But uh, from a risk standpoint or from a business ownership standpoint, it's probably a necessity. Right. I mean, the, the, the risk is there and it's just risk until it happens. But once a hacker attack or something like this happens and brings down your network, compromises your data, the, the losses can be catastrophic at that point. And then it's, it's too late. So, you know, um, you've really got to think of information security as a proactive measure, oftentimes not reactive, even though I think a lot of us look at it as reactive, something happens, so we put things in place to stop it from happening. We've got to think more proactively about that and stop those bad things from happening before we get to the point where they've happened. Um, you know, no system is 100% secure, and typically your hacker is going to be more intelligent than the average user that's out there. Uh, not And keep in mind, not all hackers are highly technical. Some are looking for easy targets. And you think about small businesses, for example, um, small companies, small businesses, they're becoming easy targets for a lot of these types of attacks because it's, sometimes it's easier to get to them. They're not implementing the, the zero trust. You know, they're not taking that, those, not spending the money on those proactive measures. And let's be honest, these proactive measures these aren't fun things, right? Uh, I mean, things like implementing a VPN um, 
fine, we implement a VPN. What does that do to your employees? Well, now the employee has to connect to a VPN first before they can access data on the server. Simple things that they're used to getting all the time, marketing documents, sales price sheets. Uh, but if you don't close those loops and put something like a VPN in place, it opens up you know, that individual's personal computer who's probably not inside the company network behind a firewall, they're working remote, they're working from home, they're working from somewhere on the road. Uh, and if they don't have you know, the latest firmware updates on their computer, there's an exposed uh, loophole in there somewhere, a hacker exploits it, they come in and they're onto the company server right now. If a VPN is in place and the, and the employee has to go through those cumbersome extra steps of first connecting to a VPN, at least the company's network is then secure. But without that, uh, you know, you, you don't have the, the zero risk. Uh, so it, it, it is it is tough to implement these policies because they're uncomfortable, but they're kind of necessary. Well, and, and you have to remember too that something, I believe the statistic is something around 87% of all hacks are done uh, through social, their social hacks to where they've gotten, they've sent an email, they've gotten uh, someone's password, someone logged into, opened a bad file. And, uh, mm -hmm. and that's training of people. Yeah, yeah, it's training. But the thing about zero trust and if you have a single device that is, that is not under the protocol, then you're vulnerable, right? It only takes one device. And, you know, there are hackers who are going for low targets and there are people who are writing code that's just going out and finding whatever it can find, right? And playing the numbers game of how many, how many, how many can I hit? How many can I get to respond to this? The, the biggest challenge with it to me, I think for on the client side, it, it's, it, you can't avoid going here. It's, there's no way to avoid doing it, right? The, the biggest challenge is getting C-suite to recognize the investment that's needed in order to be proactive, both in terms of the time it takes to develop security protocols and policies, um, the devices and software that you need, and the people. And the people is the hardest part. Right. I mean, North America alone yeah. has over a million cybersecurity jobs open right now. So what do you do if you are a mid-sized manufacturer in Idaho and you've got a staff of 300 and two IT people and, and, and someone through a device shuts down your plant? How do you go find the cybersecurity expert that's going to make that work for you? It's going to be real difficult. So somewhere along the way, there, there has to be a... Uh, some inventiveness in coming up with things that can be implemented by people who are not necessarily cybersecurity experts and don't and don't know the white hat black hat thing at all but they understand if i do these three steps before i hit that link i'm protecting my device and i'm protecting the company it's going to be hell to figure out it's hell to figure out you've got different devices you've got different platforms you've got I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of copyright. Every country has a different copyright regime. And if you want to do something globally and you want to clear copyright all around the world, you've got to go all these different places to make it happen. 
chances are with any enterprise that's older than three or four years, they've got already got a diversity of, of operating systems and technologies to try to make this happen with. It's just difficult. It's going to be difficult. And, and until, until it's figured out, the training of the people so that they don't click on that link, so that they learn, start to learn what looks suspicious, how to determine before you click on something, how to see where that URL goes, does it match the email address, you know, things like that, that are small things that people can be trained on that will make a difference. But it will not protect you from the hacker who writes code and hits an open device on your network. It's just not going to, that won't, you won't be protected from that. Yeah, and, and to your point too, uh, the C-suite needs to see that uh, before it's too late. I know my, uh, my kid's school district is fighting that right now. They, their computer systems went down two weeks ago and they're still struggling to get it back up when I was talking with my son and I said, well, you need to email your teacher and they're like, they don't have email accounts right now. And it's like, how do you, you know, and you know, they're, they're trying to educate kids, which the whole school district runs on Chromebooks and, you know, and, and, and Google, and, and I don't know what caused it or, you know, it, because the school district's not telling anybody. But you better bet that the school board is wishing that they would have spent more money or, or done more work because this is a very painful lesson to learn in real time in the middle of a, a school year. Mm-hmm. And, and some of that, too, is just gets back to, you know, like, you know, manufacturers need to get their stuff to where it's known and hardened and, and has has protections in it. And then you have to take care of your uh, the employees, too, because it, it's very simple to, like Brent said, to send that one piece of code out into the world. And once you send it out there, you have no it costs you nothing. It's going to search and search and search and search until it finds a weakness. And so it's a very low threshold for a big potential payoff. And there are people doing it every, you know, it's, you have to be, what you have to be secure every day, all the, all the time. And they just have to be right once. So it's a tough position to be in. And think about your school district. I mean, you know, we deal with higher education clients and they are understaffed for IT. Right. Their IT people are stretched. I mean, what what is a school district? How are they staffed? You know, it's it's uh it it's an area that needs investment and and investment from from the development of people who can do this work as the starting place. Right? Like actively developing and recruiting more people who can do this work. All right. Excellent. Uh, thank you guys. That was a, a really good conversation. I appreciate it. And yeah, you made my first uh, time sitting in the, the host seat uh, easy. I really appreciate that. Uh, Bren, where do people get a hold of you? They can get me Bren at Kierkegaard.com uh, on LinkedIn, Brenda J. Walker. Thank you. And Ken, where do they get a hold of you? Uh, email keagle at halltechav.com. And uh, you can check out Hall Technologies at uh, www.halltechav.com. And of course, uh, we're all over LinkedIn and Facebook with all kinds of cool new updates and things too. And we lost Bradford during the, uh, the call. His, his connection dropped, but you can get a hold of him and find him at Advisist, 
Facebook.com. I'm going to do that again. He did pick a difficult one. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <clears throat> I will never forget it now, though. Uh, and next time I see him, I'll, I'll have to see about that kick under the table that he gives architects. Uh, three, two, one. We lost Bradford during the call. His connection dropped, but you can reach him at advicest.com and, and on linkedin.com. Again, I want to thank everybody for joining me this week. And thank you for watching and listening. Head on over to avnation.tv for this show and so much more. Aviation will be at Cedia 2022, September 29th through October 1st. So check out avnation.tv for all the news and latest from there. Thank you for listening and watching. Have a great week.